0: Welcome to the Intentional Well-Being Podcast. I am your host, Diane Bondy, and I just finished telling my guest, like, this guest needs no introduction in my books. Sorry, I stole that from you. I stole that from a popular talk show host. You know who my, that might be. But I am so excited to talk to Fred T. Joseph. He has written two books. Uh, the one that we're talking about today is The Patriarchy Blues, but you also wrote The Black Friend, which I'm just... I just got and started dabbling in. So you use writing and marketing to help people grow, lift, educate, and unlearn certain behaviors. You're really a champion of marginalized and tradi- traditionally and historically excluded folks. Fred, I just want to mention this because I think it, it bears repeating, is a New York Times best-selling author. And that book was The Black Friend That Came Out in 2020 actually after everybody's racial awakening. So it came out in, I believe, no, November, right, of 2020. And it was after we all had our um, visceral reaction to watching a man being murdered by the police in real time. So you also write about marketing, politics. Um, you've uh, had your work published in Huffington Post, USA Today, Now This News, which is on YouTube, The Independent, Cosmopolitan, and others welcome to the podcast i am trying not to fangirl but i'm fangirling i'm just gonna let you
1: handle, so. yeah. <laughs> i'm I really excited to it. be I'm here sorry. i i i i've legitimately been looking forward to this I, I feel like we've been in planning for this for like it feels like months. months at this point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i've been Before looking your forward book to even it came I, out. yeah 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 i I'm, I'm i'm really happy to be here
0: Well, I'm grateful to have you here. And there's so much I want to talk to you about, but let's get into it. First of all, I just want to say it is rare in my experience as a black woman, just for full um, disclosure, I live in Canada, so I'm Canadian by way of Barbados, by way of Benin, um, Benin, the country of Benin in Africa. So I've been doing a lot of research about who I am and where I come from and what I want to bring to the table. And you're one of the first black men that I saw out in the open talking about things that traditionally in the black community have either been taboo or have uh, a lot of um, feelings around it. I grew up uh, in West Indian culture, and in my West Indian culture, Asian culture, we're very homophobic. Um, it's very, uh, it was a matriarchal society, but now it's a patriarchal society. I grew up with a dad who, um, is the epitome of, um, toxic behavior and attributing that toxic behavior to his masculinity. So it's been really interesting to see men that look like my family, um, be the flip of what I grew up with. So there's a lot of unlearning that has been going on for me as a black woman. There's been a lot of um, fear, shame, and loathing that I've had to undo Mm -hmm. as a black woman, just kind of growing up in this really kind of narcissistic, toxic way in which my father viewed gender. And I'm not gonna attribute it to everybody from West Indian culture, but I've seen it a lot in my lived experience. What made you step into this space as a black man? Like I just don't see this, and I know in I can't remember. I I believe it was in this book when you came to a reckoning at 24 years old, asking yourself, mm-hmm. "Who is it that I want to be, and how is it that I want to show up?" Like, what brought you to this point? What made you write this book? And yeah, I thank you
1: for I, I, it. I deeply appreciate that. I I think that when you start unpacking forms of oppression right and and how let's say white supremacy impacting me as a black man when i started doing that you know i i realized that you can't dismantle the oppression that you face as an individual without also dismantling the oppression that you also benefit from because if if mm. if so you're not actually freeing yourself right so like if I, you know, let's say it was like somehow snapped my fingers and ended white supremacy, if mm. patriarchal structures still existed that oppressed black women, for instance, then I'm not free at all, right? Because my, there mm. are people in my community who are still mm. oppressed, right? And, you know, and I, and I make this argument in Patriarchy Blues, you know, if, if there are shackles that still exist, they will quickly find you, right? You know, mm, someone else, true. the shackles can be on someone else, but they will if they, if they still exist they can quickly be on you right so my my whole theory of change became destroying the shackles as a whole as a, as a as opposed to the shackles that most frequently impact me you know and and then I think when I started unpacking and understanding patriarchy more I realized how much patriarchy had taken from me and other men without even realizing right like because a lot of times when we look at patriarchy, um, we kind of look at it through the white feminist lens that owns the media, right? Like, oh, it's, yes. it's men versus women, and that's it. And, you know, yeah. misogyny and sexism, and, and there's just so much more, right? There's also mm-hmm. homophobia, transphobia, there's, you know, rape culture, and there's also the ways in which toxic masculinity doesn't just exist within men. It also exists within women. Like kind of like what you said, oh, yeah. you have unlearning. Yeah, like you're you're unlearning yeah. and you're navigating things. And that's so important because a lot of times we're not doing that work of saying like, you know, using me as an example, I was raised by two black women. And a right. lot of the toxic masculine traits that I learned were from them because they learned it from somebody else, right? So, you know, yeah. my all of my work has been And trying to see all of it across the board and really figuring out where I fit in. And I think that this book was my attempt to fit in and help people see its many things at one time.
0: I love the intersectionality of all of your writing. Like, I just love the fact that these are short stories, that these are essays, that these are lived experiences that people have, because I often tell people in the work that I do that you have a PhD in your lived experience and you get to write about it Mm -hmm. from that perspective. And what was really interesting to unpack in your book was my own feelings around, um, Patriarchy and how I buy into it, and I often talk about that in my work around uh, racism. Is that we all buy in? It's not just white folks. Mm -hmm. It's just it's not other folks of color. We all buy in. It's in the air. It's in it's in the water. We consume it, and then we kind of embody it for ourselves, and then we push it back out into the universe. And that's why it's a lived thing, and it keeps evolving. And I'm raising two sons. So I have a 15-year-old son and a 17-year-old son, and I'm really trying um, not to instill those values. So books like Patriarchy Blues helps me to really um, figure out what it is I'm teaching and how I want to approach my children. But on the flip side of that, I think there's also toxicity in femininity or um, in feminism as well, I should say, because... There are things that I hear myself saying about men that my son is like, really, if I said that about a woman, you would be all over me in a minute. So we -hmm. need to really unpack it from both sides. So he's made me actually pause and think before I make these vast statements. And I think lots of people don't do that. We just like are a gumball machine. It's in our head and out of our mouth. And we don't actually examine our feelings around it.
1: Right. Which is why it's so important to be intersectional feminists as opposed to kind of like the mainstream white feminism, because I, you know, I, I think oftentimes people, you know, who adhere to, let's say, you know, white feminism, they're not necessarily trying to get everyone free. They're trying to attain power. Right. And to yeah. attain power means that somebody else has to be oppressed. So it, it, instead of it yes. being like, Hey, um, we are trying to have equity. It is, well, men have oppressed us. So let's, you know, go back and oppress men. And that's not what we need. What we need is we are all hurting. How do we collectively heal? How do we collectively grow? How do we collectively respect one another? Right. And, And how do we collectively fight for each other? Right. As opposed to, you know, again, this narrative of like, and, and I've seen a lot of it come up in, in, in the leaked decision of Roe v, Roe v. Wade and the potential overturning, oh, you know. Yes. Uh, and that's where I think you see the ugliest parts of kind of like the mainstream white feminism where it's like people are like, oh, don't say birthing people. Don't say the sad third. Well, it's like, well, trans trans women can, you know, trans women are people. Trans men can give birth, so on and so forth, right? You are now upholding patriarchy that you claim to be railing against, right? Yes, you're defending yourself as a cis woman, but also attacking people as trans people. So you're upholding the same exact system. But people are not thinking of it that way. And that's why intersectionality and seeing those things, like your son is saying, like, hey, like, are you looking at this? Hey, did you catch yourself in that? That's why that's so important.
0: And that's why I really wanted to raise my kids to question me and to call up, call in or call out whatever the languages we're using. When people say certain things, I'm always giving them the, the language in which to use. I always say something like, wow, you said that. This is what I heard. Maybe you could explain to me what you meant. Okay, this is like, you know, classic, uh, you've been to the therapist, they tell you how to dive into certain questions, so that you can evolve a conversation instead of people getting defensive and putting up, you know, whatever. But we've also known talking about uh, white feminism, we've also known that white feminism has always not a hasn't been able to see the intersectionality of others that you know when uh black women within the space wanted to be womenists because we have to approach the world from the uh, intersection of our our identity and our identity isn't just a woman we are also black so that Moves right. us, um, like lower down the pecking order. And we weren't allowed to march in these uh, feminist groups because they were like, don't bring your black nonsense with you. And I think we all need to do that unpacking, which is why your book is incredible for that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, and it's, it's completely true. It's, you know, in the same way that, you know, black women had to focus on womanism because of, you know, it's like you said, it's not enough to just say like, Oh, I'm a woman. I'm also black. Right. In the same way Mm -hmm. that a lot of white women are like, want to erase the fact that they're white, but them being white is why so many of them voted for Trump, for example. Right. You're not just a woman. You are also white. So you, yes, you might be railing against the patriarchy, but also upholding white supremacy.
0: Absolutely. And not even knowing that you're doing it. So I teach a lot of, um, consciousness, right? Like I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a racism educator. And that the racism educator part came totally by accident because I just went into yoga spaces and everybody was white. I went into mindfulness spaces and everybody was white. I went to wellness spaces and everybody's white. And I'm like, okay, why aren't I seeing more people that look like me or people are surprised to see me in these spaces? So I thought, Let me backtrack a little bit. Let me do some research. Let me run off to university and take a few courses Mm -hmm. and then come back and address this in a way that I think adding my lived experience to what I know um, and my education help us break down why these well-being spaces are so white and that as a Black person stepping into these spaces, you don't feel safe or seen. And I think it's really important to link these structures structures of oppressive oppression to our overall well-being so having said that what do you want your book to do in the world like when you were writing the uh, the patriarchy blues what were you hoping people would pull out of it and what actions are you hoping people would take because we do a lot of talking around shit, but we don't always take a lot of action
1: yeah i i think that my my goal for patriarchy blues was for people to see it as a mirror right because mm-hmm. one thing i say that this book is this is not this is not a book for any particular audience, right? I think people are like, oh, a black man wrote it, so black men should be reading. I'm like, no, I think right. everyone should be yeah. reading it, right? This is um, a mirror that shows how we are all implicated, right? In this book, I'm talking to black men, I'm talking to white men, I'm talking to white women, I'm talking to black women, I'm talking to I'm talking to all of us, right? Because there's yeah. somewhere in this book that you can find yourself and some of the harm that you have caused, no matter who you are, right? Yeah. You know, when I'm when I'm like, hey, um, let's say I'm talking about transphobia. Transphobia is upheld by every single person who is cis, right? So you should see yourself in this. So so my hope is that people will take a look at that mirror or this mirror, find themselves in it, and then decide to change, right? I don't look at this book or any book as – you know, the period of a sentence. I look at it as an ellipses, right? This should be the beginning mm. of something that's really, really long. And I think that's part of the issue of the 2020 moment is that a lot of people looked at the the books and the documentaries and things like that. It's like, oh, I just did the work. I read, I read the one Ibram Kendi book and now it's over, you know, ex- 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 exactly. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. This is, not a, this, is not a, this is not a race um, in the sense of like you're sprinting. This is a race in the sense of this is a marathon, right? Like you are going yes. to be running this for a long time. And if you're going to do this work of patriarchy, white supremacy, classism, so yeah. on and so forth, you have to make room in your life for it. So I hope that this book helps people make room in their life to start that process.
0: Because that's the only way that we can get to any kind of intentional well-being and sitting in that discomfort. For those of you who don't know, I was doing the checkbox, checking off the the boxes. So back in 2020, when we saw the murder of George Floyd and I saw this uprising and every single tiny little town in North America was having a Black Lives Matter march. I live in a very I live in the suburb of Windsor, Ontario, we are directly across from Detroit. So if I walk to the edge of my street, I'm pretty much looking at the Detroit River. And if I look uh, west, I can see the Renaissance Center. So uh, my son used to play soccer before the pandemic in the state. So I feel really, I feel my city is really connected to Detroit. And a lot of the things that are happening in America bleeds into Canada. And what what, what was really interesting is when Canada, you know, we all got involved in the in, in supporting Black Lives Matter we all got, all of us jumped on this bandwagon in 2020. And a lot of us jumped right off it. I think a lot of people became bestsellers. I was being booked constantly. And then I saw it trickle. And I remember at the beginning of this new white awakening to, oh my God, no idea Black people had it so bad. And how can we contribute to doing better? People just lost focus and lost interest and just moved on. And a year later, those same people who were marching in the streets were now thinking we were taking up too much space in the world. How do we fight back against that?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that that's been a question in a lot of spaces. A lot of, a lot of us have been talking about this because, like you said, you went from, um, you know, wh- wh- whomever you are, you went from being uh, sought after to the point where you had to turn things down to now having to like pitch yourself to yes. why, why, why these things should be important still, right? You know, 400 yeah. years of, of Black oppression is not going to be undone in 400 pages of a book or in 40 days or anything like that or in four months. Um, but I, I think that what we have to do is quite frankly be in community with each other first, right? I, I think mm-hmm. that right now what we have is a lot of people, you know, Black and Brown people especially, we're kind of like disparate, right? Like everybody, you know, everybody's kind of like spread out, right? Like you have, like let's take myself, um, who you know, I wrote this one book and someone wrote this other book, but we're not on the same page necessarily about what we all are demanding of these ah. structures and these people, right? Mm-hmm. Because let's let's say I'm like, oh, we're not we're not going to sign any more book deals as a collective until you all make a conscious effort to say we are going to, I don't know, hire. 80 black editors every year right but we're not necessarily yes. doing those things right yeah so we're not we're, it's almost like we're still asking for seats at the table as opposed to building our own tables right yes. so i think that. so oh. i think that i think that that's an issue and then also you know being in community with the people, like we spend so much time. How can I, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this? We we spend so much time trying to be in community with people who are not interested in being in community, as opposed yes. to firming up the community with the people who want to be in community, right? Like if I have, right. let's like, say, two white two white people who really, really are working hard, right? I'll give you an example. The other day that a book club took um for patriarchy blues with this group that i did a book club talk with the, the year before for the black friend the year before when i did it for the black friend it came you know after the 2020 protests it was about seven months after that we had uh, about 190 people in the book talk for patriarchy oh, wow. blues it went down to 16 right Oh dear. yeah mm-hmm. it went down to 16 and at first mm-hmm. you know i was like you know i was i was i was feeling many ways yeah, right, but yeah. then I realized something. I was like, you know what? I'd rather be in community with you, sixteen people who you actually want to get it, and we can firm yeah. up and get stronger together than be with one hundred and ninety, and a lot of people are just there because it checks a box, right?
0: Yeah, so. performative for sure, for right. sure. And so, I think that's yeah. an excellent point. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: No, 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 no. So I was just, you know, I was just saying um, once again. I, I think that's 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 the work now of us figuring out, even if it's a small community, what the community is and make sure we're all on the same page, asking for the same things. Cause you know, together we are stronger, but right now it feels like we're all ch- kind of like grasping at straws a little bit.
0: Agreed, agreed. I have this opinion and bear with me. It's an arrogant opinion that I just formulated over a little time. So I, um, I came of age in the eighties and the nineties. So I was in high school in the eighties. I was in university in the nineties. And I was watching the white supremacist movement kind of start to shift. So in the late 80s and the 90s, we had a lot of skinheads, right? We had people wearing Doc Martin boots. We had people skinning heads and just beating up people on the street, right? There was this like intense anger. And we know that white men anger is very intense and it's very wrapped up in the patriarchy. And then I started to see that dissipate and I started to see white, uh, white nationalist groups get more organized and start putting people in positions of power so that they could influence policy and laws. And I really wish as a group that black folks and people of color could all all of us who are traditionally excluded, uh, traditionally marginalized at the margins, I wish we could all get together and organize in that same way And run for office, because I really do believe if you really want to have an impact, there has to be far more representation in local government, like who's teaching at school, whose credentials, whose histories are being taught in the curriculum. What are we talking about when we go through like ancient European history? Do we really need to be learning about that anymore? And if we're learning about it, can we learn the truth about it? Not like. He sailed here and put a flag there and everybody was happy. Can we start doing that? Can we start infiltrating policing? Like that needs to be torn down and starting again. But I think we need to get organized, just like I saw the white supremacist thing get organized and start running for public office, whether it is at a community level or a state or province level or a federal level. We need more representation so that when these laws are being made, our interests are also actually being Considered. I think we talk about this, we, we do little groups, we get into community with each other, but then what's the next step? We have to, we have to get in some kind of power in that next step so that we can start pushing back against all the things that keep us from moving forward.
1: So I, I think, so I, I, I um, big, big, broad swath. I agree. I yeah. think there are three things that my, my mind goes to. So I think one, the first thing is, I agree. We need to do that on every level, right? I think it's we need more black educators, like black teachers in the school. We need more black politicians. We need more black people in power. I I think.
0: And people of color and people. All of those. Black black
1: and brown people, people of color, so on and so forth. I guess the issue becomes. How can I explain? I guess, hmm. The issue becomes that. Our side, and, and I guess this is from an American lens, right? Okay. Our side is is a little different than the right wing side. where like the right wing side has people who are conservative, they have people who are alt right, they have people who are white nationalists, but they all kind of just get on the same page, right? Yeah. You take myself as an example. Like, I'm a leftist, right? I'm I'm not I'm not a centrist. I'm I'm an absolute leftist. I very much believe that Me we too. should have. Yeah, you know, so like, (laughs) so I don't actually agree with Joe Biden on much of what he does or says, right? I didn't want Joe Biden to be my president, right? It was, you know, you vote for him because it's him versus versus Trump. But ultimately, the things that I want, I think that on the left, you have too many people who are like white establishment or even black establishment trying to uphold the status quo so you have this in this infighting within the party right you have like let's say aoc versus nancy pelosi and you oh, have I know B- yes. B- bernie and warren versus versus biden right versus you know all these mm-hmm. different things so i guess it becomes difficult because i think that you get the same thing within you know the, the, the community of people of color right the exact same mm-hmm. thing so it's yes. like I I I argue with people like let's say we're like oh man like we have a black mayor in New York City and he's one of the most conservative horrible mayors we've ever had right Mm -hmm. he literally uh, you know very he's a former Republican he became a Democrat and he's just the most pro police pro criminalization of homelessness and so on and so forth that we've ever had so I guess that's where my my mind goes I'm like you're right and also I'm like how do we make sure it's the right people of color. Right, because a lot of times, to your point, I think you made earlier, we, we, or maybe we're talking about a high level. We've internalized these systems and these structures of oppression so much within ourselves that sometimes we're the vessels for them. Right? Absolutely, one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, and and I guess that's that's like the thing that's been messing me up because I'm like, man, we literally have a black male. uh, mayor in New York City, and he is horrible. But people voted for him because he was a black man after George Floyd. <sighs> you know, so yeah. now I'm like, man, how do yeah. we, how do we, how do we solve that? Right? How do we navigate I mean, how that? How do we
0: all get on the same page? How do we all right. see that? No offense to conservatism, because there's conservatism of capital C, which is like all the way to the right, and then we have moderate conservatives, and then we have conservatives that, although I never seen that to. To look at progressive and conservative together, it seems like an oxymoron to me. Um, here in Canada, the political structures are we have the conservatives, which pretty closely align to your Democrats. They're still left of war. And then we have the liberals, and that's what they're actually called. And they govern from the center. who And then we have the uh, new Democrats. And the head of that party is a Sikh gentleman named Jameet Singh, who I would love if he would be prime minister, but Canada is far too racist for any of that. But it's just really interesting because we tend to sway more to the left. But as I'm seeing all these political things happening and the push white supremacy's pushback against the browning of America, which is what we're seeing, right, I'm starting to see all of that drift into Canada, where we have been yes. less likely to be involved in that. It's impossible for us not to be impacted by the United States. Our population here in Canada, for the entire country, where the landmass is bigger than America, is about 38 million people. So we're about the size of California, where we're butted up against the United States, which is like 338 million people. Yeah. We have strident gun laws here. We have a socialized medicine here. But the more this right-wing, loud-speaking Trumpism catches up in America, the more it drifts into Canada and the more the rest of the world moves to that kind of um, ideology. How do we stop that shift? How do we get people to read books like this? How do we get people to actually open up and see that we are all in this together, that patriarchy affects men just as much as it affects women, racism... And white supremacy is the delusion that is going to kill all of us. Like, how do we get people on board? How do we get, I want everybody to read this book. And I also want everybody to read The Black Friend. I know it's like, it's kind of like skewed towards young adult, but every, everybody should read it. Like, I think it's one of the most accessible books I've ever read on anti-racism work, whether it was intended for that or not.
1: Right. Right. Well, I, I think that the the answer is in the last thing we were talking about in terms of like the evolution from kind of like the, the skinhead to 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 the representative at Fox News or in politics so on and so forth. I think that the, the, the left wing needs to do the exact same thing. I've always given credit to the right for two things. They yep. are – they are good very at good at organizing, <laughs> very good at organizing. And they are insidiously strategic, right? Like yes, they're, they're yes, smart. They're yes. just, they're just really smart. You know, like even, even in the sense of, you know, the book bannings, they're not banning books just because they don't like books. They know they're like, Oh yeah, no, we're not good. We don't want people to be smarter or more intelligent about these issues. We want people exactly. to be angry and uninformed, right? It's super smart yes. in the same way. They're yeah. like, Hey, you know, every time there's a black person, let's say, who is a right wing conservative or alt-right person, like let's say like a Candace Owens or something like that. I was just right? going to
0: say, I knew yeah, her name yeah. was going to be evoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But they're smart because what they do is they're like, oh, this is perfect. Let's tokenize her as much as possible and amplify her so that she is far bigger than myself and like 20 versions of me on the left combined. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because Because exactly. the left... It's the left is still in its own ways racist, right? Yes. Th- yes. Th- there is no strategy from the Dems, let's say, of saying, like, hey, this young black man who like a lot of people can relate to and be in conversation with and he's written these books. Let's lift him or someone yes. like him as a counter to Candace Owens. That doesn't exist. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's, it's we're not we're not strategic in that way. It's not like, oh, like they're indoctrinating people via Fox News. So we need the most leftist, progressive news channel possible with uh, a people who are captivating, charismatic, so on and so forth to counteract that. That doesn't exist. Yeah, right. yeah. it just it, yeah. it doesn't exist. And instead, what we it's have fun. is cnn which tries to play both sides or new york times which tries to play both sides or we have nancy pelosi let's say who has attacked aoc who has attacked ilhan omar who has attacked rashida tlaib who has attacked all these like you know kind of like younger coming up progressive very like again very charismatic like aoc is on instagram live trying to talk about politics and breaking things down for people and establishment doesn't want that so it's like again it gets to the point. When, when the party gets smarter about strategy, the people are there, yeah. right? If it, if, it was, if it was me, I'd say, hey, bodily autonomy is under attack. G- patriarchy is winning. Great. Let's find five books and send them yeah. everywhere to counteract the book bans. If I was the Dems, I'd like put them in, send them everywhere, everywhere, buy millions of copies and make sure people yeah. read these books. But we're not doing any of that.
0: I, I it's so frustrating because we are equally as smart if not smarter but we're not using stri- strategic we're not using our strategic planning and what's really interesting is i have this conversation a lot with my friends who are pretty far to the left as well we're Canadians, so we tend to lean left anyway but my american friends are far to the left when michelle obama said we go they go low we go high i appreciate her sentiment but i kind of want to say when they go low we should go lower like i really yeah. feel like yeah. we, we yeah. need to use their own tactics because that seems to be working. Like, I I just think being a doormat and and singing Kumbaya and saying these things actually isn't working. There needs to be a strategy. And I love this idea of countering those book bans. Um, I had to read The Handmaid's Tale as part of my English literature in grade 12, which I think is when the book probably came out in the late 80s. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, holy cow, this would be horrible if it happened. And then here it is actually happening. And what's really interesting to me is people don't understand the full consequences of revoking Roe v. Wade, that it's not necessarily only about abortion, about about your right to privacy. That's actually what Mm -hmm. you're allowing the government to overturn. And you're going to set a precedent that the government or the government, meaning the people, can give something and take it away. So you're gonna open up door right. for
1: oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You talk about you're talking about same same same-sex marriage, you're talking about interracial, interracial marriage. Interracial marriage. marriage. Yep. You're talking voting. about all of it. And yeah, yeah. People just don't see it, right? It's like even even speaking to specifically Roe, right? And sticking with like you know bodily autonomy and things of that nature so for example my my fiance and I we're on an IVF journey right now we just got to um the last portion of one part um I'm not sure how familiar you are with IVF but um yeah my best friend went through
0: it so yeah
1: okay so we just got to the point we did extraction and um we have 18 embryos that are being tested right now but here's the interesting thing if Roe was overturned and we were to let's say let's say three of the embryos we used them and had children, so on and so forth. And the other fifteen were viable, but we destroyed them. We could actually, under these new laws, potentially be arrested for destroying fifteen "quote unquote" lives, right? Like, and you could be you could be arrested for murder, and and like some, um, so like, and that's the thing that people are not understanding that yeah. it's massive. This is massive, is. you know. And and I'm just I'm not seeing the not even just a strategy, I'm not seeing the vigor from you know the administration nor our kind of like dem leadership to, to reflect that, right? Like what I want to actually see, like even after like the shooting in uh, Evalde um, and the Senate went on recess on vacation yeah. or whatever it was, if yeah. I was Biden, I would have said no, you know, for lack uh-uh. of a better term, get your asses back. If you what? don't have something right, if you don't have something for me by Monday, I'm gonna find some type of executive order that I can this no, this you just went into a school and murdered countless children. So to the point where their parents can recognize them. I want people to really sit with that,
0: uh, right? Yeah, like yeah.
1: I would like. I'm like at this point, what I want this administration to do, and I think also. Sorry, I'm carrying on, but I, I no, I think please carry on. Me, this is the point. I, yeah, I, I think that what we saw Donald Trump do Look. changed the trajectory of politics because, as horrible of a person as he is, he opened a lot of people's eyes to what the president could actually do. Right. Like he right. kind of pulled back the veneer of respectability. Right. So you're like, wait, yes. a minute. the president could just do infinite executive orders, basically. And the president yeah. can just, you know, do all these different things. So wait, why is it Biden doing that? Right. Why is Biden not not doing that to help out all these crises that are taking place? Right. If, if You know, so like I, I think that's an issue. Right. We, we, we are no longer it's no longer lost on us that the president and his administration have more power than maybe they've let on.
0: They're letting on than they've been letting on. Yeah. And that uh, they're not doing the people's work, which makes me, right. I've always said that Biden was a moderate conservative. Like I say Absolutely. that about Hillary Clinton too. Like, they, uh, you know, she was a gold, something gold who ran for uh, it's, I don't remember. My American politics is not as good as (laughs) because I'm Canadian, but Goldwater. She was a Goldwater girl. So she was a conservative before she met her husband. And so I think she still tends to swing that way and that there isn't I as when I look at the politics, there's not a whole lot of difference between, dare I say it, Joe Biden and Donald Trump in terms of policies.
1: No, there's no, there's not. And I. And so I said something similar on another podcast, uh, or rather a radio interview a few days ago, and they cut it. Um, you know, they 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 cut it because they're like, "Oh, it's really dangerous to say I'm like, "No, it's 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 truth, right?" And like at some point, you have to stop like lying. Like realistically, you know, mm-hmm. Donald Trump is a white supremacist. The issue with white supremacy, as the issue with any other, with any form of oppression or whatever, is that they fall on spectrums. Like the world is not binary, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, you and I can both uphold, uh, like, like you can uphold patriarchy, I can uphold patriarchy, but the but the yep. spectrum that we fall on can be completely different, right? You as yep. a as a as a black woman can be at like a two, where I as a as a black cis het man might be at like a nine, but we're still on the same spectrum. I'm just doing it far more. In the same way that Joe yes. Biden and Donald Trump are on a spectrum of white supremacy, right? They're both old white men, white powerful. Men. And yeah. yeah, like they're old the white rich. men. Right. They're, and, they're, and their interests yeah. are their interests are themselves realistically. Right. Their interests yeah. are not, and you know, let's look say, like them.
0: Yeah.
1: right. Their interest is not the black trans woman. Their interest is not no. the, you know, the, the, the black houseless person. Their interests are themselves. Um, yeah. So yes, yeah, they do fall on a similar spectrum. And that's a real conversation.
0: It is. And I wish we, we could have that honest conversation because you shifted power from one old white man to another. So, what's actually going to change?
1: Right. Like, In the most you- diverse election ever. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So that is something that blows my mind. Just to circle back to the patriarchy. I want to talk a little bit about the patriarchy within the black community and toxic masculinity or traits of um, masculinity that are toxic. I, I always want to make the distinction that masculinity in and of itself is not toxic, but it has traits that really influence yeah. us. And how do we break this idea of the, you know, the macho macho man down in um in Black culture and Black society. I had an interesting conversation with my son the other day. I am extremely close to both my young men, like super close. And I said to Nathan, um, when he was graduating from grade school, uh, they had an award on stage for Mama's Boy. And two of the most popular kids in school got the award for being Mama's Boys. And when he came home, I said, is Mama's Boy an insult? He goes, not at all. And that blew my mind because we've only ever heard it as an insult when
1: men are close to their mothers. Yeah. So how do we
0: change that dynamic in the black community? Because I still see a lot of bravado out there. I still hear a lot of nonsense out there.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think that there's so many things to it. I think a lot of that, that exists in the black community is in part strategy to like keep black people, pitted against each other, quite frankly, yeah, right? Like if you destroy sure. the the black communal familial nucleus, then you destroy black people, right? Um when you yeah. look at like these incarnations of like contemporary patriarchy within the black community, a lot of them are fairly new, right? Like if you look back like, you know, if you predate even like this nation that I'm in, um, and, and the nation that you're in, black people didn't exist like that in, in west africa right like if you actually like yeah. look at the history yeah. of of, yeah. of what the societies looked like it's not the same and you can see aspects of it even like when we came over here like there was mm-hmm. there, we didn't parallel the white patriarchal structures we've done that more so in the last few hundred years right yes, and absolutely. so i think yeah. that w- i think that when we teach history first mm-hmm. of all we need to teach that history of who we actually are, are historically are. right before um, so think,
0: enslavement and trafficking, right? Because our history right. does not start there,
1: <laughs> right? And I think that's important. A lot of people don't realize that I actually had an argument with someone last night out and about about that very thing, right? Like, oh, well, black yeah. people have always. I'm like, we, no, no, black people have not always. This is this in, in regards to time. This is a blip in the existence of black people, right? Like, globally, mm-hmm. this moment yeah. in time, these 400 years are not you know, comparative. Our to, whole to, existence. Yeah, exactly. Um, that being said, I, I think that we need to place more of an emphasis on both femininity and masculinity both existing in people at one time, right? Yes. I, and I, and really. I think that's lost on people because, you know, femininity is not a monopoly owned by, by cis women, right? right. It, everybody yeah. has quote unquote, feminine traits, like the ability to cry, the ability to be gentle, yeah. the ability to be tender, so on and so forth. And that's a good thing to have both of you, right? Like there's there's yeah. ways in which my fiance is more masculine than I am in some ways. That's not because she's a man, it's because she, she has yeah. certain masculine traits that are more masculine than I am, right? And I have certain yeah. feminine traits that are more feminine than she is, right? And those Agreed. different traits allow us to access things that balance us as human beings, right? So yes. like, I'll give you yeah. an example. Um, let's take the moment that happened in the horrible murder in Buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know where you know moments like that. As James Baldwin says, you know, you know, to, to be conscious in, in this nation is to be in a constant fit of rage, right? And in moments like that, yes. I am absolutely rageful, right? Like that's the emotion that I have because I'm 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 so sick of it that my rage is engulfing. But thanks, and that's and that's a masculine trait. But thanks to the femininity that exists within me. I'm able to take that rage and also access my hurt and my tears, mm-hmm. right? So instead of taking that rage and saying, I need to go like hurt a white person, let's say.
0: right? Yeah, they yeah.
1: said, I'm going to cry in my fiance's arms, right? Yeah. Because, oh, because you need to have that access. So I think that's what we need to be teaching young people is the access and the importance of both, right? Yeah. Like we, we yeah. do this thing in the community where it's like, you know, let's say a boy falls, like get up. You know, stop that crying. No, stop. Cry. No, blah blah. Yeah,
0: yeah man. Yeah. No, yeah. no. We
1: need to. Yeah. We need to not teach any of that. You fell. You're hurt. Please That's cry if you need to. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, cry. Be joyful. Like, you know, oh my god, you, you love your dad. Great. Give your dad a kiss on the cheek then, just like you give your mom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, we need to be yeah. reimagining and re-unlearning and relearning all of it.
0: Agreed. It was so funny. My youngest son, who's got emotional, intelligent, that blows my mind. And he's like, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's very popular. He's got several friend groups, like he has all black friend groups, and then he has mixed people of color friend groups, and then he has all white friend groups. So he's like, big man on campus. Like he's very popular. He's very cool. And he says, you know, he, the other day he was joking around with me and he said, um, you know what? I have my male friends cause I'm not homophobic and I'm showing my, my appreciation for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm like, thank you God, because this has been really something I wanted to do. And I purchased them swim trunks for the summer and they had one in mob, which I just thought was really pretty really pretty. And so I brought it home and I said to Dylan, that's my youngest son. Who's the big man on campus. Hey, do you like these? And he did this whole around a color. I go, just so you know, colors don't have gender. They're just colors. And then my oldest son came in and said, Oh, those swim shorts are cool. I'm going to wear them. So it's just really interesting where there are in understanding masculinity and femininity. And my husband and I have been raising our boys um, that we are a team. It's Team Bondi. I cut the grass sometimes, and I load the dishwasher. Alan is the king of laundry. Like he's laundry man. He's obsessed with laundry. You know what I mean? He's always doing laundry. So I wanted my sons to see all of us doing everything, so that we don't get these strange gender roles, and we don't do this man against woman kind of thing. I want everything to be fluid, right? Yes. I have um, trans. I have trans friends, and and they've been introduced to them and they have relationships because I want this all to be super normalized. I would want to change my experience of um, homophobia, transphobia, all of that within the black community. Like I just want to change that. And one of my family members just recently came out to their parents and they came out to their parents and they waited till their parents were much older to come out to them, hoping that they would soften because I never want to be in a place where my kids are afraid to come out to me, and that we're not yeah. talking about all the things, right? That it's okay to 100% be who you are.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. You know, so in, in the house with my fiance, we've we've done our best to normalize that. You know, on any given day, you can find anyone here, right, sharing space with us, mm-hmm. being in the community with us, um, because it's important that like. We we normalize humanity, not any particular humanity, but everyone's humanity. And you know that's one reason why when I look back um, at who I was when I was a young man, I remember having a bunch of like young women friends, and I would give them hugs and kiss on cheek if I saw them. And as I got older, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't greet or say goodbye to a lot of my my friends who are men the same way. So I started doing that, right? Like even like last night, I was out with a bunch of. Um, a bunch of my guys and like I was so happy that like at the end of the night we were all like hey love you get home safe like let me know in your home and yeah. like just hugging each other hugs and like you know just like hugs and a sad third right and 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 that is so fulfilling because you're being a total person right when you like hold yourself back because of things like you know um false gender roles and things like that you're not being a total person right it's like you know like you just said about the color of you know a pair of shorts it's like you know <laughs> uh, we we are we are denying ourselves the, the totality of our experiences while we're on this earth by like limiting them to to roles and and binaries and things like that it just doesn't make any sense
0: it doesn't. And it's, and I think it's just another way to keep people oppressed. I think it's just yep. another way to keep people in a box. I I am here for a world where we can all be exactly who we are, that we can all love and marry who we want to marry, that we have bodily autonomy. I'm very, I'm very concerned about the backsliding of democracy. I'm very concerned about who's got the, the, uh, the concentrated power. I'm very concerned about whose voices are being, get, are being platformed and who voices are not. This is very scary to me. And I kind of feel like it's the last throes of white supremacy and this kind of, you know, trying to keep, trying to dial back to another time that can never happen. And I know a lot of this is directly linked to the Browning of America and to the Browning of North America. All of these things are directly linked to that. And I honestly think that there's a group of people out there that thinking is thinking that once black and brown folks are the majority that we're actually going to have as much power as white folks, which I don't think is actually going to happen because these systems are embedded, right? These systems, and structures are, And even if we did have the opportunity, we are not looking to oppress a whole group of people. We just want to survive. We just want equity. We Just want people to stop assuming the worst about us every time they see us. We just want to live our lives. We are not interested in oppressing anybody for four hundred years or treating anyone with malice. I might there might be a few outliers. Let's not let's let's be clear. There are a few outliers. They're always that. But as a community, you've been to the meeting. I've been to the meeting. Right. We haven't had that
1: right. on the agenda. That's right. a joke, right? And, so, no, but, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, you're a thousand percent right. Like, I think so, you know, many people have said, you know, one white people should be happy that black people are not looking for revenge. Right? We're looking, we're looking for respect. Right? Like, yeah. it's it, you know, it's it's and and I guess and that's the issue. I think a lot of times this this what might be a last gasp of white supremacy is coming from no one like people know that they don't want to be treated the way they've treated other people. Right. And, and and, And the fear and the fear of that is, is ingrained in their soul. Right. So, you know, to me, you know, to, to me, I, I, like you said in the beginning of, of, the point you're making. I, I worry though, if I just call mm-hmm. this a last gasp and it might be a last gas, but this last gas might also be the thing that destroys everything. Right. I, you know, I, I look at, I, I look at, I look at this like white supremacy's haymaker, right? Like I do think that where we're at right now, when because it's not as simple as, you know, I, I think at one point historically, you know, obviously we've had horrible moments enslavement and, and things of that nature, but on, mm-hmm. but, but in, in reality, it was simple, right? It was like, these people are enslaved. We are doing mm-hmm. enslaving. And it was a simple thing. Now, it's so nuanced how white supremacy exists, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that now it's not as simple as just saying, like, we need to end this one atrocity that's taking place. It's like, yeah. oh, we need to combat white supremacy in schools. We need to combat white supremacy in the prison system. Mm-hmm. We need to combat white supremacy in and. and, and food we need to combat white supremacy in publishing and in in film and right so right healthcare. we need to combat white supremacy in in politics now we need to combat not now but like more so than ever white supremacy in gun ownership right um and all these different things so it's kind of like man i'm worried that we just we can't do it i don't know if it's possible like it just became it's one of those things where it's like it's spilled everywhere to what it's yeah. spilled on. You might have to just throw the thing out that it's spilled out. on.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And that's how I feel about the criminal punishment system because there's no justice in that. Right. Um, in politics, like I just feel like the whole thing needs to almost burn to the ground and start again. Like there's some things right. that I don't think can be reformed. And I honestly don't think policing can be reformed. I just think Damn. it needs to be, defunded so much so that we're having more um, social workers and people who are in the community helping people who are in a tough spot because calling the police often ends up with the wrong intention. We just saw it in Texas. You called the police for what? They stood outside for an hour or they went in and got their kids and then continued to stand outside for the hour. So we, what's, what's the point here? Are they actually helping it? And I know all I know about all I know about the the police force is that they're they are stewards of white supremacy. They're here to hold it in place. And if we can just identify that and agree to that, then we can break it down and start over because it's never worked.
1: Right. I mean, literally, the police in the United States were they, they are they are created from pe- and from slave catchers, right? Like it's, the police yeah, force yeah, from. Control. Yes. Police were not just founded upon. They are an evolution of. Right. And and, and Mm -hmm. that is so important to recognize because what you're what you're what you're seeing is it's not a you know, there's no such thing as a bad fruit in a garden of sludge. Right. This is a garbage sludge. It's not a bad fruit, right? The entire, the entire, it's not a bad fruit. And it's not even a tree from that fruit. It is that the roots, the very, the very ground that all of it is rotten. And when you have all of it rotten, you have to move on to something else.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I have a saying that I say in order to go somewhere we have never been before, we have to start with something we have never done before. And I think right. that has to do with the that has to do with everything. But I love talking to you. We're coming up on almost an hour. And I just feel like I could talk to you about everything <laughs> and anything. I love your work. I'm a stalker on your page. I want everybody to go out and buy Patriarchy Blues reflection, on reflection on manhood. This is for everybody. So for those of you who are seeing two black faces up here and thinking this isn't for you, this is for you. And I also want to buy your other works. Um, the Black Friend on um, being a better white person. It is amazing. I don't think it should be optional reading. I'm going to be adding both of these to my teacher training and all of my training um, syllabus, because I think it's an amazing read. And I want to thank Mr. Fred T. Joseph for gracing my tiny little podcast here and talking to me about your incredible work. I will be sharing bits and pieces everywhere. I will be encouraging everybody to read this. And I'm going to be honest, it's a nice, easy read because it's broken up into sections. I've been making notes in the, in the columns. It's a little, it's, it's, it's for a book of this depth, it's delightful insightful. It is thoughtful. It is intersectional. It is brilliant. So please, please, please. It's not on the New York teller sellers, best list for nothing. It is, <laughs> it is amazing, amazing. And go out and get the black friend on being a better white person. It's way past allyship. It's actually a deeper dive into who you are. So it's actually very yogic. If you're a yoga person, this is right in here and being conscious and telling the truth and ahimsa. And breaking down and being nonviolent. So thank you for coming to the podcast. Where else
1: can
0: Thanks we find you? Doing well,
1: you? need, you need all this stuff. Like,
0: How do we get
1: a TED Talk? <laughs> well, well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I, I deeply appreciate it. I, I can't stress enough. Um, I've been looking forward to this and and I hope that we can do it again. I, I really That's do. Great. Um Anytime. Yeah, I I I really hope we can do it again and you know, people can find me just, you know, on social at Fred T Joseph, um, and you know I'm, I'm fairly accessible, so if people you know want to reach out for anything. I try my best to be in community with people, and and I, I, one of the best things that's happened to me in the last few years is being, and that is honestly, you and I being in community with each other, like it's just been great. And you've just been a force. I mean, like an absolute force of of change and light. And it's it's something that I've needed. Like when there's been no, I, I really do. Me, I wanted to just bring this to your space. There's been days where I'm I'm really struggling, and I'm just having a nice message from you, or just a. Sort of response that's like reaffirming and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah i needed this um so just thank you for your work and thank you for all that you bring and and just being in, in community um and when we're actually going to be um living in toronto for a little bit this summer um so yeah we might Can have, we have yeah, we dinner might, yeah yeah we, we, we're gonna have to do that we're gonna have to do that <laughs>
0: I'm just like completely freaking out now because I'm a huge <laughs> fan girl. I can't wait to tell my good friend Anusha, who's like, "You need to get him on your podcast." She's like, "I go, not going to want to be on my little podcast." She's like, "Ask him anyway." And I'm like, "When you responded, I died. I died." But yes, let's stay in touch. Let's get together in Toronto. Let me show. Let me show you my city. I grew up just outside of Toronto, so I, there's lots of cool stuff. And you're in for if you haven't been there before, you're in for a treat. It is one of the most diverse cities in the world in the mm-hmm. world it's top 10 so it's going to be super cool awesome thank you so much don't forget to get into contact on socials check out his website and please buy his books i'm looking forward for the next book um the title of the next book is i had it written down and i've forgotten already
1: How we better get than we found it
0: Better than we found it. Yet. How did we get here? No, better than we found it. Not yeah. even <laughs> thank you so much for that. And thank you, everybody. If you're on this podcast, please like it, rate it, share. Let us know who and what you're doing with the works that we are creating here. And thank you for being in community with us. Until next time, everybody.